this podcast from Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Um, okay, first of all, um, I just want to share that this Saturday um, at 10 o'clock, we're meeting in the office. Um, if you would like to join me, that, I'd, really, I'd really, really appreciate that. Uh, we're doing some outreach. I'm sharing the love of Christ with people on the streets of Derby. Oh, Derek's here. Excellent. Excellent. Derek, why don't you sneak up to the... This is going to take more than a quick minute now. Um, come on down. Yeah, come on up, whichever. Right. I'm glad you're here. Right. So, 10 o'clock, um, this Saturday at the office for a, um, a couple of um, hours, um, we're just going to be on the street sharing the love of Christ. Um, right, Derek. Right. How are you? All right. Good to see you. Yeah, and you. Yeah, you're looking well. You think so? <laughs> I know, sir. Right, do you want to grab the microphone? Right. Question Modern technology. I wrote some questions down for you. Anyway, a couple of weeks ago, um, Derek came along with me on, on the streets of Derby. Yeah. Um, and we had, well, I'm going to ask you a few questions, if that's, that's all right. That's fine. Right. right. Um, Derek, what were you doing a couple of weeks ago between 10 and about 12.30 on Saturday? We were walking around town and uh, sharing a gospel with a few people which was pretty uh, 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 amazing, but also very, uh, um, I can't think of the word now. Um, Nerve-wracking. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I did. Uh, There's just so many people out there that need to know the gospel. It's so important. Uh, The world is, we regressing into a secular world and the people are just walking around and without hope and they need hope and the only way they're going to get hope is by being told to them because they're not frequenting churches they're not being told about the gospel and the only way to is to confront them what was the weather like it was cold it was free fortunately i was uh, you you were in a worse position than myself i I took my gloves but uh, it was cold it was freezing but it was nice it was a nice day it was a lovely day did you enjoy the experience Yes, I did. I, I, I believe, uh, although it's nerve-wracking and very difficult, I believe the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. So the only way is to go out and do it and be bold enough to go and proclaim that gospel, which is so important. Uh, there's nothing more important than bringing the gospel to people. Was it worthwhile spending those couple of hours on Saturday morning? Well, what was worthwhile, uh, when we were walking down, Ray got two names. Uh, he didn't tell me what the names were. When we, when we, the first guy uh, Ray spoke to, um, he spoke to him, and then he shared a bit of the gospel, gave him a couple of tracts, and then he asked him what his name was. The guy said his name was Pete. Ray pulled out the book, and first name was Pete that he wrote down. Anyway, we carried on walking. Ray was talking to somebody else. I went back to go talk to another guy. I was talking to him, shared the gospel. Gave him a couple of tracks and then I asked him what his name was. He said his, name, he said his name was Andy. Anyway, I went back to Ray and, he, and I asked him what was the other name he got. And the, guy, the, the guy's name was Andy. So, you know, there's, there's no coincidence in that. God had specifically 
um, spoke to Ray about these two names and those are the people that we saw. Whether they came to Alpha, whether they came to church is irrelevant. God has spoken into those two people's lives. Thank you very much indeed, David. Very, very. So I just want to... The other thing that God has given us was um, to pray for somebody who'd, uh, for healing from their hand, but we didn't find that person. But we didn't get really discouraged because we still got the opportunity to share and pray for somebody else with a bad leg. So that was good, just to pray for them on the street. So all we're doing is really sharing what God has given to us with those outside. And if you would want to come along, it, it can be a daunting thing, but it's a, it's a great time. We have a good time. Saturday, 10 o'clock at the office, um, a couple of hours on the streets, and then we come back and just pray, and then you have the rest of the afternoon to yourself. That's a good deal, isn't it? Yes. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. Wasn't that good to hear from Ryan Derek? That was fantastic. Well done, both of you guys. It's so good to hear stories of us getting outside the four walls of the church building or the cinema and uh, talking to people about Jesus. I'm thrilled to hear about it. And uh, it's great to be able to do that in terms of bringing the kingdom of God in and seeking to share the love of Christ with people uh, like Ray was talking about. But another way we do that is through a project that we call SMILE. And uh, Sarah and Zoe are going to come and talk to you about that right now. So you can welcome them really enthusiastically. Okay, good morning, everybody. Oh, it's a bit bright. Um, Yeah, I just wanted to say a few words about our social action project called SMILE. So I hope that everybody knows about it. But if you don't know about it, SMILE is a respite facility for children with additional needs. So we run it once a month on a Saturday morning. And it's been going now for about seven years. So I think over that time, we've probably served about between 30 to 40 families in Derby. So the morning really is just a way of showing God's love in a very practical way. So we look after the children and we just give mum and dad or carers, whoever it is, just a bit of a break um, that they might not otherwise get during the week. It might be a chance for them to spend a couple of hours with um, another, um, they've got more children, um, give them a bit of quality time. So it's a really valuable project. Um, but it can only happen if we have volunteers and we desperately need some more helpers. So if you feel like you could give up one Saturday a month to help us, then please come and see me at the end of it. You don't need experience, you don't need qualifications. What you do need is just um, lots of energy um, and just a real heart for the children that we serve. Now, Zoe has been um, one of our helpers for a number of years um, And sadly, she's had to step down due to work commitments because she has to work on a Saturday now. But I've just asked her to share a few words about what SMILE has meant for her over the last few years. Um, So it would have been about five years ago, Sarah and myself dropped our little boys off because at the time they were really small, took them to nursery and then we went for a walk. And we walked and we talked and we shared our passions and our hopes and our dreams. And after sharing mine, Sarah turned to me and said, oh, I really think you should pray about helping with Smile. And I'd heard about Smile. It had been presented quite often at church. And I was like, yeah, 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 I'll do that. I immediately made a mental list of why I would not be helping in Smile. 
I didn't drive at the time. I had three very small children. Uh, my marriage at the time was going through a really difficult patch. I didn't, I'd never worked with children, disabled children, ever, and it wasn't a passion of mine, and God was not calling me to help with Smile in any way whatsoever. But yes, Sarah, I will pray. And I went home, and I prayed. And, of course, when you pray and talk with God, he answers. And I really felt a conviction that I should go and I should serve. So I went to Sarah and said, right, um, well, I have prayed. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to come next month. And I am going to just, you know, sit and watch and observe. And maybe, maybe, you know, maybe help out. My intention being to go along and say, yeah, it's really not for me. Uh, God was wrong. You're wrong. And yeah, it's not going to happen. So I went And while I was there, God just really impacted me at what an incredible way it is to serve these children and these families in our community and show a really practical way of his love for for the people around us. And five years later, I've had the privilege and just the amazing blessing of being a part of this incredible ministry. And just seeing each month, well, not just each month, actually, um, during my five years of helping in Smile, I've been able to form relationships with some of the parents and with some of the children and there's one or two of the parents I've just seen God really impact them and reveal his love to them and for them just to be able to embrace that. And I've just seen how Smile has really ministered to these parents, giving them space, giving them time just to have the respite because for those of you who know Derby well, a lot of the help has been pulled for these families and the families that most need help and support in this time, or this, the respite has been pulled. So just as a really practical way for these parents just to show them that actually we as a community, as a church, as people who love God, love you and care about you. And it's just been amazing. It's been challenging. It's been fun. And as Sarah said, you do need a lot of energy. So it is with a sad heart that I have to step aside due to work, new work commitments Um, But in me stepping down, it means that there are people in here who actually, if you go home today and pray, God might surprise you and say, yeah, just go along and sit in in a session. Because actually for Smile to keep functioning, we do need uh, people within this church to step up and say, yeah, God, pick me, choose me. Or, yeah, God, uh, maybe pick me, but don't really pick me, but yes. And then watch how God just can really transform your heart through doing what he has called you without realising to do. So. That's really good to hear uh, about Smile. Thank you both for sharing. And uh, I would encourage you, please do pray about that. Um, and also, can I ask us to Make sure that we are praying for Smile as well on a regular basis. It's great to uh, be praying for Smile, particularly uh, at our prayer meeting a couple of weeks ago. Uh, We've moved the location of our prayer meeting in Derby uh, to the same venue that we use for Smile. And so it was uh, great to be able to pray uh, actually in the venue a couple of weeks ago for Smile and for what happens there and for the children and the families 
that we serve. So uh, please, as Zoe said, do pray about whether this is something for you to be involved with. Uh, but also, let's make sure that uh, as a church, both uh, in various meetings, in prayer meetings, and small groups and so on, that we're praying for Smile, praying for the team and for the families we're seeking to love and to serve uh, and to bless uh, in the name of Jesus. Is that okay? Is that good? Excellent. Oh, well, uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name's Graham. Uh, I have the privilege of leading the team that leads Jubilee Church and uh, it's great to have you with us this morning. Thank you so much for being here, particularly if you're visiting us today. Uh, a very warm welcome to you. Please, as David says, do uh, stay around afterwards for a coffee and cake. We'd love to chat with you and get to know you uh, a little bit better. But thank you so much for, for being here. You've joined us uh, as we're working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, we're on a series. We're preaching our way uh, through 1 Corinthians, we've tackled some pretty thorny issues so far. We've looked at uh, some challenging things together. Uh, and preaching through a book like this, taking a book of the Bible and saying we're going to work our way through it, I think that does two things. Firstly, it, it means that you know we're, we're increasing what you might call our biblical literacy. So we're, we're learning about a whole load of stuff. But it also means for people like me who preach, it makes sure that we don't just pick our favourite bits. And it makes sure that we have to look at some subjects and passages that, frankly, if we had a choice in the matter, we may choose to skip over and get to an easier bit. Uh, but working our way through means that we don't do that. that actually, we make sure we're looking at the whole of Scripture and all that God has given to us. Uh, in this, uh, this great book, the Bible. And um, so this, this has been good for us and continues to be good for us. Uh, so if you've got a Bible with you, if you'd like to turn to 1 Corinthians, please. We'll look at chapter 9 in a moment, so the first part of it anyway. Next week, by the way, we're going to take a short break from our series in 1 Corinthians. Uh, and uh, we've invited my very good friend Dave Ayling to be with us. Dave leads City Church here in Derby. It's a thriving Elim Pentecostal church uh, meeting in the centre of the city. Dave is a good friend of mine, leads a great church, and uh, he'll be speaking here next Sunday. So don't miss it. It's going to be great. So you can look forward to that uh, during the week. But this morning we're, we're looking at the next part of 1 Corinthians. So as I said, we got to chapter 9, and we'll read verses 1 through to 23. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 1 through to 23. This is Paul saying, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defence to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? 
For it's written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us, because when the ploughman ploughs and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights. And I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words here. Thank you for this letter that we have preserved for us. And uh, we pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would come and be our teacher. Lord, would you help us not only to understand what we've read together, but Lord, would you apply it to our lives, both individually and and indeed corporately as well. Pray that you give us open hearts to to hear from you this morning. We ask it please in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so Paul starts off this passage by describing himself as an apostle. And uh, he lists some of the rights that he has, and indeed the other apostles have as well. And he includes includes things such as reaping a material harvest, taking along uh, a believing wife on on his ministry trips. doesn't mean that Paul was married, but it does mean that if he was, he would have the right to, to do that. And he quotes from Old Testament law, he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 25, which says, Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. So Paul could, if he chose to, exercise these rights. But it seems from what we read here that he's actually chosen not to, at least when it comes to the Corinthians. He sees himself as free, and indeed he is free. That means he's free whether to exercise his rights or not. And he's free then to live his life as a servant. To live his life as a servant 
to Christ and, and then to others. He understands, doesn't he, that, that Jesus called him. That he's doing what he does, not out of a particular you know, interest or a career path. or It's not that he sat down with a career advisor at some point and the, the person said to him, so then, what would you like to do with your life? Well, I, I think I'd like to be a preacher. You know, there was not that interview for the Apostle Paul, was there? You know, if you, if you know anything about Paul's life, you'll know that to start with, he was one of the most vehement persecutors of the early church. You can read about it in the book of Acts. You can read about how when Stephen was stoned to death, here was Saul, as he was called then, standing, giving his approval, looking after people's um, jackets and so on. So he started off as a, as a particularly vehement uh, oppressor of the Christian faith. But what happened? God called him. God arrested him. I don't mean in terms of putting handcuffs on him, but arrested his attention. Jesus spoke to him and called him to this ministry. He called him to follow him and he called him to preach the gospel. And that's why Paul does what he does. Not because he thought it might be a good idea or advantageous to him, Not that it might be an easy life. If you know anything about Paul's life, you know how much he was persecuted, how he was beaten and shipwrecked and and abused. It, It wasn't, you know, it's not like it's a wise, easy choice. God called him. And that's why Paul does what he does. And there are, there are times you can read about it where he lists everything he's gone through and how he has suffered for the gospel. This was not an easy life for Paul. And on top of everything else, all that he suffered physically, he had the ongoing concern and pressure emotionally of his responsibility for the churches that he cared for. This is a big deal to him, but Jesus calls him to it. And because of that, he knows that he is indeed free, but he's free to, uh, to live his life as a servant first to Jesus and then to others, because it's Jesus that called him. And this is what motivates Paul, right at the very core of Paul's being, I can imagine it on a day where he's suffering particular persecution, remembering Jesus speaking to him and calling him. This was not Paul's idea. This was Jesus' call upon his life. Now, there are some in the wider church around the world today who, um, I guess, may... Uh, choose to do something different when it comes to perhaps uh, theirs right, their rights. They may choose to exercise them slightly differently to the Apostle Paul. They would probably go further than Paul would particularly feel comfortable with. Now, I do happen to think it's right that churches treat their leaders well. But we've all seen abuses of this principle. And uh, you only have to turn on often American <laughs> uh, television channels uh, to see often TV evangelists taking this principle far too far. Uh, and, and even Paul would have been very, very uncomfortable with it. It's not what he was talking about at all. 
we need to tread a very wise and careful middle ground where we honour people rightfully, but don't get silly about it. And don't try and extrapolate what the Bible doesn't do. So, you know, when I turn on the television and see... I don't know to say it's all American preachers, it's not, I'm sure, but often it seems to be. You know, that promote a prosperity gospel, it just offends me. That's not what the Bible talks about. You know, you look at Paul's life and you think, you know, how does that match with, you know, what is sometimes sold apparently as the gospel? The way Paul suffered, what he went through, the price he paid, this is biblical Christianity, dear friends. And you read through uh, the New Testament, you look at how the uh, apostles respond, you look at the early church, look at what the disciples went through, that's the reality of following Jesus. It isn't always easy. We are not called to an easy life. We are called to follow Jesus in the path that he sets out for us. And so that's what Paul had chosen to do. And um, he knew that he could exercise his rights if he wanted to, and that would have been fine. That would have been a bad thing to do. But he chose not to, in order that he could... Um, really, as well, I'm reading it through, I'm thinking, Paul's using this as worship, isn't he? He's saying, I'm using what I'm doing to worship you, Jesus. And because he chooses not to receive from the Corinthians in that way, that gives him an opportunity to do that. And he realises that he's free. He doesn't have to, but he chooses to. So for me, personally, I, I didn't go into, into leading a church to make money. I, I don't know many people that did. I've got a lot of friends who do a similar job to, to the one I do, and, and I can't think of any of them that went into it for that reason. Now, I know there are excesses, and I know they're largely in faith-orientated TV ministries, but most pastors, that, at least the ones I know, are very different. They don't talk about rights or expectations. That, it's just not how we're wired. Rather, in the circles I move, we talk about loving God, loving his church, seeking to love and to serve people and to give ourselves to, to his call. Actually, very often... When I'm with other leaders, very often the conversation is actually, do you need to do slightly less? <laughs> do you need to be caring more for your family? Do you need to be spending more time with your, with your husband or, or your wife? Do you need to uh, perhaps uh, just address the balance slightly the other way? Because most leaders that I know, God has called them. That's true of me. He called me. It wasn't my idea to move to Derby. I'd never heard of Derby. Actually, when God spoke, I was in South East London. I, I, was, I just turned up to church on a regular Sunday morning and out of the blue, God spoke about Derby. I mean, frankly, it could have been Timbuktu. I had no idea where it was. Didn't know anything about it, but I knew this thing. I knew that God had spoken. That's true of Paul, isn't it? He knew that God had spoken and that's why he was doing what he was doing. So what does it mean for churches in, in our day and age? Well, it does mean that we should seek to look after and care for our staff well, and, and we certainly try and do a good job of that here. We need to be, uh, churches should be good employers who train and develop people and, and help them fulfil all that God has for them. 
I think we should seek to make our churches enjoyable places to work. You know, I'm not talking about sort of going down the Google line. You know, maybe we should have, I don't know, some sort of slide in the middle of the office or, or just a snooker table and, you know, get to mid-morning and I might challenge John to a game of billiards or something. I'm not sure it's, it's quite like that. It'd probably beat me. <laughs> but actually, it's the, it should be a fun place to work. Hebrews 13, verse 17 says this. And um, I remember, I think this verse actually was brought, I think Tony brought this verse to us when Ray became an elder. He said this, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So, for us as a church family together, let's, let's seek to make it an enjoyable place to be. Uh, for our leaders to see their work as a joy, and for pastors and leaders, for us to keep our hearts right. We need to make sure that our motivation is honouring to God, and that applies whether we have to be paid or not, actually. Leaders are called to serve. I'm called to serve. Peter puts it pretty well. 1 Peter 5, verse 1 says this, To the elders among you, Peter says, I appeal as a fellow elder, and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. There's good instruction there, isn't there? Good instruction there for all of us. So, I wonder, does that describe you? Does that describe me? I guess the truth is, there's only one person that knows our two people that know our hearts. We know our hearts, and God knows our hearts. Actually, I think God knows our hearts better than we do. <laughs> But others don't. So the challenge here for all of us is to, just to check our hearts. And as God calls us to serve, just to check our motivation in doing that. But in this passage, this isn't all that Paul talks about. He goes on to talk about what he does in order to reach people for Jesus Christ. And this is so helpful to us. Paul explains how for him to reach the Jews, he'll become like a Jew. To reach the weak, he would become weak. He says this, I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I may save some. That's what he wants to do. So what does Paul mean? What is he talking about here? How is this relevant to us? What, what, What can we learn from him this morning? Well, firstly this, Paul values other people over and above his comfort. Other people are more important to Paul than his comfort and his personal circumstances. Now, you can see that right throughout the book of Acts. You can see it right throughout his letters. Paul is passionate about reaching people with the gospel. And he will do whatever he can do in order that he might save some. 
So one of the reasons that uh, Paul is like this is that he has a really clear understanding of what will happen to people if they don't respond to the gospel. He doesn't talk about it very much, but it's clear that Paul understands people's eternal destiny is at stake here. He understands that this is serious. It isn't just a nice interest thing that he's trying to persuade people to become interested in. No, this is about people's eternal destiny. And he knows that. He knows it. You see, the Bible's pretty clear about it. We might not talk about it very often. But I wonder, uh, friends, do do we allow it to sink into our hearts that actually when we talk about sharing the love of Christ with people, sharing the gospel with people, we're talking about people's eternal destinies at stake here. You see, the word gospel literally means good news. It's good news. It really is. It's good news. It's wonderful news. It's amazing news. It's life-changing news. And listen, it's life-saving news. It really is. It really is. And you know what? It's been entrusted to us. God has revealed it to us. But not to keep to ourselves, but to share with others. I felt so challenged as I was reading through this passage again this week. Uh, as Paul describes what he does, thinking actually, do we sometimes not have on our radar just the importance of this? How it is about where people are eternally going. If you're just visiting us this morning, if you're looking in, maybe this is all new to you. Maybe you're just wondering what this church thing was about. I thought you'd poke your head around the door. Let me tell you this. The good news that we're describing really is good, wonderful, life-changing, life-saving news. It is about your eternal destiny, what happens to you when you die. But as well as that, it's about life in all its fullness now. Right here, now, on earth. As well as what happens later. I think too often unconsciously probably, we can subcontract the job of telling people about Jesus to the evangelists. Have you ever done that? You know, maybe only internally. You wouldn't, I'm sure you wouldn't express it. But you've subcontracted the job of telling people about Jesus to the evangelists. You know, that's their job. That's what they're for. You might say something like this. You know what, I haven't got the gift of evangelism. You know, other people have. Ray has. You know, he's the gift. You know, that, that, that's his job. Listen, let me tell you a secret. In Scripture, you don't find, because I don't think there is, the gift of evangelism. It's not there. You do find the office of an evangelist. You know what their job is? The Bible tells us. Their job is to equip the saints, that, that's you and I, for the work of ministry. So the job of an evangelist is not to be out there doing all the evangelism, but rather it's to equip the church, that's you and I, to do evangelism, to be evangelistic, to tell other people about Jesus and to share the good news. Their job is not to do all the evangelism. The truth is that we are all called 
to be evangelistic. We are all, I knew Ray would say amen to that, thank you for that, my friend. We are all called <laughs> to be evangelistic. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. He is trying to win as many people as possible with the good news of the gospel. By any means possible, he wants to reach as many people as possible. So I wonder, does that describe you? Does that describe me? It's not that we need to have the gift of evangelism because there isn't one. Rather, we are all called to be evangelistic. We are all called to share our faith with others. We are all called to talk to those around us about the love of God and what he's done in our lives. So you can see with Paul that he sought to engage with people wherever they were at. So I was trying to think of an example of this. I think perhaps one of the best examples is in Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17 you find Paul in Athens. It's verse 16 onwards if you've got a Bible in front of you. And um, we're told here that Paul's in Athens and his great distress to see the idols everywhere. And uh, you, you can, we don't have time to read it all through now, but you, you, you can read through. And uh, you can see how Paul seeks to engage with the Athenian people by using things that they would know about. So, for example, he quotes one of their poets to them. He talks about their culture. He talks about an altar that he found with an inscription on because he'd done his research and he'd been looking around the city. So he seeks to engage with the Athenian people where they're at. Not just turning up and starting to preach, but doing a little bit of homework, finding something out about the city, about the people, what's important to them, but about their culture, maybe some of their, their writings. He quotes one of their poets, as we've said. And then he uses that as a bridge into their culture and to talk to them about the good news about Jesus. So Paul's wise, isn't he? It's not just he turns up in Athens and starts preaching on the street corner, but rather he seeks to engage with people where they're at and using things that they would understand. I guess we've all seen people out on the streets, so standing on the street corner and uh, not so often preaching the good news of Jesus, but shouting condemnation about those who are not responding to Jesus. You know, I, I love their passion. I love the fact that they're trying to be out there and win people for Jesus, but I do think there's a better way. I think a better way is showing people's God's, lo- God's love and his goodness and his grace and his mercy. And yes, we can speak that out loudly, but you know what? We're speaking good news. We're not speaking condemnation to people. We're speaking life-changing good news. So we can look happy about it. Because good news is happy, isn't it? It is wonderful to share. This is what Paul does here. And then we can learn something from Paul in the way he seeks to engage with people. And really all that Paul is doing is being obedient to what Jesus commanded his disciples to do. Do you remember back in Luke chapter 9? 
Jesus sends the twelve out. Jesus called the twelve together. He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons, to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. You turn over the page and Jesus does it again, this time with the 72. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to go to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fields. That was Jesus' instruction to his disciples to go out and to preach the good news of the gospel. That's what Paul was doing. Paul's instruction to Timothy sometime later in 2 Timothy chapter 4 is this. He says to Timothy, but you keep your hand in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. What does Paul mean here? Paul is talking about Timothy needing to do the work of an evangelist even though he might not feel that that was his particular calling or his gift. It's like Paul saying to him, Timothy, I know this isn't where you're particularly strong. You might think there are others around you who are better at you than this. But regardless of that, do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. So all of us, friends, are called to be evangelistic. All of us are called to win and to reach people for Christ. And wasn't it so good to hear from Ray and Derek earlier? I couldn't have set that up better myself. I didn't know Ray was going to do that. I sat there thinking, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) It was so good to hear stories of, hey, we were out on the streets God spoke to us about a couple of people and we got to talk with them. Isn't that good? Don't you want to hear some more stories like that? Don't you want to be part of some more stories like that? You can be. You really can be. And so going back to our passage in in 1 Corinthians, Paul was going to do whatever he could do to reach whoever he could reach. To the weak, he'll become weak. To those under the law, he would become like them. And so on. So the challenge for us is this. Who is it that you and I are speaking to reach? And what are we doing to reach them? With a population in the world approaching 7.5 billion people, the reality is you can't reach everybody. Even here in the UK, with somewhere around 65 million people, I'm guessing you're not going to be able to reach every single one of them, personally. But what can you do? How about the people in your orbit, if you like, your sphere of influence, where you go to work, or to study, or the people in your streets? The people at your gym, at your knitting club, 
or whatever it might be, wherever it might be that you go. What about the people there? Actually, if it's people in those sort of environments, you've got a bridge already. You both happen to work for the same company. Or maybe you both study in the same institution. You both live in the same neighbourhood. You're both interested in the same hobby. There's already a bridge of interest there. There's already a degree of relationship. There's already a conversation that can be started. So you could start with them. You could start with them. Paul realised that to reach some people, he needed to become like them. Well, for you and I to reach some people around us, we need to become like them, we need to be interested in the same things. But guess what? You might be already. It might be that you don't have to create a whole new friendship circle. It might be you have one already that you hadn't realised. Whether it be in your location, your neighbourhoods, your place of work or study, or where you go to relax. The question for all of us is this, are we willing to go the extra mile? Are we willing to build those relationships and then seek to reach out and talk about the good news of the gospel? If it really is the good news that we've talked about this morning, if it really is as life-changing and life-saving as we've described it, wouldn't you want to tell people about it? I remember a a few years ago, um, a well-known atheist was talking about the gospel, was talking about the Christian faith. And he he said to a Christian, he said this, how much do you have to hate somebody not to tell them something that you believe is so life-changing? thought, whoa, if you put it like that, that's quite shocking, isn't it? And that was an atheist saying that to a Christian. How much would you have to hate somebody not to tell them something that's so life-changing as you believe it? Now, as far as I'm aware, he's still an atheist, <laughs> But I did think, wow, what a fascinating statement. Not to put us under condemnation, that's not my heart this morning at all. But rather to help us realise once again that we have a life-changing, life-giving, good news gospel. And Paul did all that he could do to reach them. So the question for you and for me this morning is are we doing all that we can do in order to reach some? Wouldn't it be great when you get to heaven to find some people there that are there because you shared the gospel with them? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't it be great for somebody to come up to you and go, you know what, I just want to thank you. I'm here because one day at work, you told me that you were a Christian and you invited me to an Alpha course or a meeting at your church. Wouldn't it be great if somebody came up to you and said, you know what, the reason I'm here is that I saw the way you love the other people in the neighbourhood. I saw the way that you took care of the poor and the vulnerable. And I thought, 
there's something different about you. I wonder what that is. And I discovered it was you, you, you love Jesus and followed him. That's why I'm here. My guess is, and my hope for all of us, is that there will be people there like that. My guess is as well, there will be people that we don't even know or recognise that are there like that. Because very often you don't realise the effect that you have on people. A few years ago, I um, uh, heard from somebody who I was in a, in a, in a youth group with, um, we're talking a few years ago. I know it, wouldn't, it doesn't look like it, but it's a few years ago. And um, I heard them talk about um, a particular ministry that I was involved in helping to lead for a little while and how it really helped them and changed their life and put them on a course to follow Jesus. I didn't know that for years. But it was great to hear it. But my guess is that will be true for some of you as well. You might not even know some of the people that you have an effect on. But wouldn't it be great if you did? Both now and then. Let's do all we can do to reach some. In order that, just as we were praying earlier that God's kingdom would come, we sang it, we prayed it, we get an opportunity to be involved in it. Let's stand together and we'll pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Paul's example to us. We thank you that we can look at his life and say, there is somebody who was sacrificially living his life for the sake of the gospel and for honouring you. And Lord, in the same way that he sought to do whatever he could do to reach people for you, I pray that would be true of us as well. Lord, I ask that for me. I ask it for my friends here this morning. God, we, we say together, use us to bring your kingdom in. Lord, we don't need to be something we sing about and maybe pray, but rather it's something, Lord, we want to be involved in. And so whether it's bringing your kingdom in to, to loving those who uh, maybe have additional needs and whose life is challenging and we're seeking to bring your kingdom in by loving them in your name and seeking to be a blessing to their family. Lord, whether it's seeking to bring your kingdom in to those who, for whatever reason, find themselves uh, unable to be housed and we're seeking to house them in a safe place and to work with them and to help them to become um, good citizens again and to live productive lives and to discover you. Lord, whether it be to bring your kingdom into the school that we work in, the university that we study in, the road that we live in, or the gym that we exercise in, whatever it might be, Lord, we want to bring your kingdom in there and let your good news be talked about and shared. So God, would you use us in it? Lord, would you use us in it? Again, this time we give ourselves to you and say, God, would you use us in it for your glory? We ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Don't forget, if you're visiting us this morning, if you head out of the double doors there, straight across the foyer, and some seats there, we'll come and serve you tea and coffee and cakes. We'd love to get to know you. Please do stay around. Everybody else, tea and coffee served in the usual place in the box. God bless you. Have a great week. Look forward to seeing you next Sunday here at 10 o'clock.
Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.